God is the one who gave first. I promise you, my brother and my sister, you will never have God in account. He does not keep tabs with anybody. He will not allow himself to owe you anything. If you, if he asks of you to give something, he goes over and above whatever you've done because he cannot be indebted to you. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of God I want. Give me more than I even asked for and exceed my wants and needs. Pastor Martin discusses worship through giving in Proverbs chapter three, verses seven through 10. Mankind separates itself from, from all of creation in that we are able to understand that we were created by God and we're able to acknowledge him for doing so. Unlike the rest of creation, we are mammals as we were established, but the other mammals don't know that. They don't have that capacity. We do in that we have understanding and we have revelation. So we're able to then recognize who God is and recognize him for who he is through worship. Then we went on and we wanted to share with you that it's important that we understand how important our coming together, that corporate, that, that there's a powerful sense of God's presence when we come together, when we assemble ourselves. So we looked at the power of corporate worship. Then uh, we had Pastor uh, Armstrong come and share that God wants us to have a pleasing walk of faith with him. And he used that to help build a platform for each one of us living a life continually growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, but also building upon that faith. Then we had Pastor uh, Page, David Page come along and he, he helped us understand that no more excuses. I, I would, I would if this, or I, I don't because of that. No more excuses. Now we're gonna conclude our portion of the sermon series today with worship through giving. Worship through giving. And now I know when you say giving in church, you automatically think it's gonna be a tithe and offering sermon. Some of it is. But no, I want you to understand that it's important for us to separate this idea of when we give that we're paying something back. And that if we're going to live a life in worship, that a part of us will have to be giving. And my hope is that as you leave this, if you are wrestling or struggling with tithing and offering, whether you should give to the church, I hope you would leave this experience with this one thing. Understanding that giving is an act of worship when you're doing it for God. When you're doing it for the Lord. Now, one of the primary essences of the nature of God is revealed through giving. One of the ways we understand who God is, we understand him through being a giver. The greatest attribute of this divine nature is his willing and his intentional 
giving or gifting of his son, Jesus Christ, that he may die for our sins and atone for the sins of the world. For we see that after God declares through Jesus that he loved the world, he actioned, he did something, he, he was moved to do something. For God so loved the world, he what? He gave. So we begin to see that com combined with his great gift of his son and salvation, that happens because this attribute of who he is or the essence of who he is, is that he's a giver. For God so loved the world, he gave. This nature is among those that Peter had in mind when Peter says in 2 Peter, his second letter to the church, he sends a letter and he in that he says that we have been made partakers of this divine nature. That the born again, those who have put their faith in Christ Jesus, they have now become partakers of God's divine nature. The believer who now has continual opportunity to exhibit this new nature by living a life that honors God and honoring God through a lifestyle of giving. It is in this honoring of God by way of giving to God and his purposes, his purposes that he's established in the earth that we are able to constitute the fact that the form and fashion of giving is actually an act of worship. In verse nine, we see, let's look there. Verse number nine, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. There's something that we need to observe before we go any further because he says, first, honor the Lord. But he says, honor the Lord in the second line. He says, honor the Lord with your best. I was in a, in a service and a gentleman stood and he said, he said, you know, I, he was testifying. He said, I thank God that he, he, he will take the leftovers. And what he was referencing was that he had lived a life and finally in the latter times of his life, he decided that he would, he would try and serve, he would, he would, he would serve the Lord. And he was saying, I'm glad God would take the leftover. And I was grateful for his testimony, but then I thought, but he doesn't look for leftovers. Oh, he'll take it. Here's how this works. If you were to go now to a five-star hotel and you decided you're going to go down and have dinner in the restaurant and in this five-star restaurant, they brought you out. They said, hey, listen, we've got some delicious food here. However, all we have on the menu today is leftovers. I would imagine that that would be it for you because you're not looking for leftovers. You'll take leftovers after having had what you had, what you ate there and then taking it home and then you're on the comfort of your own home, pulling out the leftovers, but you're not going looking for leftovers even though you'll accept leftovers. 
So he says, honor the Lord with the first fruit of all that you have. Now, what we have to deal with first is because of our subject text today, we got to deal with two words. Our, our, our theme or our focus for this month has been worship. But here in the text, we see the word honor. So we need to establish that honor and worship are interrelated. Because if you're going to live a life that's God honoring, you live a life that is lived in worship to him. Let's look at that. So the definition that we're working with today for the word honor is showing of merited respect, reverence or awe. That's the definition for the word honor. Look at the definition for, wor for worship. Worship is an act of expressing the reverence. So honor is I acknowledge that reverence is due and then my worship is my expression of that. It's my devotion, it's my veneration, my commitment to, I, I, I express what I know. I express what I understand and that's worship. So we can see that the two are interrelated, but then here in the text it says, honor the Lord with your possessions, that which you possess. So let's define possession. Possessions are anything possessed or owned. There's two key terms in this that I want to stop and deal with. And it says that which one is in guardianship or trusteeship over. Because David makes a declaration in Psalm 24 that help us understand that no matter what we are, even ourselves, no matter what we have in our possession, we are simply guardians or stewards over. Because if you take a look at, 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 at Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, look at that real quick. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2. Because here David makes a declaration that the only conclusion we can come to is that we're all just in guardianship or trusteeship over whatever we have. Because here he says, the earth is the Lord's. Here, here you go. And all of its fullness, the NIV said, and everything in it. Yeah. The world, here we are, this is where we come into the picture, and those who are dwelling in it. Even you belong to God. Yes. So the life that we talked about giving to him, it already belongs to him. You are just offering back to him. Yes. And all those who dwell in it, for he has founded it upon the sea and established it upon the waters. He's the one. It all belongs to him. Now back to Proverbs 3 and 9. Now, uh, look at what it says. It says, honor the Lord with all your possessions in all of our substance. The definition of substance is the essential part of anything. Honor the Lord with every and anything, material possession, any property, any resources you have, any wealth, whatever you have, is that, that word possession speaks to the essence or the essential part of anything. So he says, honor the Lord with your possessions. So now you begin to see how we can live a life in worship. 
And then when we understand that we have God's divine nature living in us because we've been born again, and we see that in his nature, he is a giver, then we begin to understand that by nature, God's nature, we should be givers. That leads us to our first point for the day. Point number one, God is the one who gave first. I promise you, my brother and my sister, you will never have God in account. He does not keep tabs with anybody. He will not allow himself to owe you anything. If, you, if he asks of you to give something, he goes over and above whatever you've done because he cannot be indebted to you. I want to draw something into, uh, for, to your attention. A few weeks ago, we looked at the little boy with the lunch. Remember that? The little boy with the lunch. Now, there's no reference in the text that they bought the food from and they asked him for it. But at the end, the Bible says that they collected 12 baskets of leftovers. The question I want to ask you is, who did the baskets belong to? The little boy. Because God will never allow himself to owe him anything. If he took anything from him, what he gives him goes beyond what he gave him. See, that's why the songwriter says you can't beat God giving. No matter how you try. The truth is we don't try, do we? <laughs> you ain't trying to beat God. You're like, let me see what I could do. God gave first. So we read in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world he gave. He didn't ask, wasn't asked to it. He wasn't asked for it. We didn't know we, Paul said, while we were still dead in our trespasses, still walking dead men, dead women, God demonstrated his love. He gave what wasn't even asked for because he is a giver. Here's something to keep in mind. Because for God so loved the world he gave, but John realizing he needed to explain that better in, his, in, in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, uh, verse 9 and verse 10, and then we also need verse 19. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, and then we're going to grab 19. Because then verse 9, here's what John says. He says, for in this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That he realized that, that we could not pay, he sent the payment on our behalf. Now think about this. If he's willing to send the payment before you know you had the debt, you know he's not going to allow you to owe him anything. He sent the payment before you sat down for dinner. So I'm going to pay the price even before your bill comes. And then verse 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. See, I come to love him because when I think about his love, the songwriter says, when I think about the goodness of Jesus, yes. 
and all that he's done for me. My soul cries out. He says, when I think about all that God has done, when I think about what I used to be and what I am now, when I think about all the things he had to cover with his blood, the things that he had to cover just this week, now that I'm, even while I'm a child, because he first loved me with an everlasting love that speaks of his nature being a giver. Andrew Murray, who was a 19th and early 20th century pastor, writer, and teacher in South Africa, he was once quoted stating this, and I want you to listen to the words of this. He says, the world asks, what does a man own? Christ asks, how does he use it? The world thinks more about the money getting, Christ about the money giving. And when a man gives, the world still asks, what does he give? Christ asks, how does he give it? See, he said he's contrasting how this old way that we were born into the world. He contrasts that with the new nature that we have in Christ Jesus. So then that helps to dispel this erroneous comment that we often make. I, I make sure I got to pay my tithes. One sister said one time, she said, I always got to break God off his peace. I did the same thing inside. I was trying to, but Tim, I was trying to stay, keep my composure. Like, yes. <laughs> but inside, I was cracking up. Break God off his peace. So we have to understand there's a difference between offering and paying. Here's something to note. Please write this note down if you are. If you're not, just always know this. Uh, Amity, the, the sermon notes are always online. If you miss something as you're writing, you don't write as fast as others, you can just go to the website and get the sermon notes. They're usually up there by Tuesday. So you can always get those, okay, for your further, further study. But here, note this. Although we are indebted to God, we do not pay tithes and offerings because we could never repay him for all that he's done. You don't make an effort to try to pay the bill because you don't have the resources for it. You could never do that. So we don't pay, we give, we offer it to him as our worship. That takes us to point number two. Point number two, giving flows out of the divine nature of God that's in us. Giving flows out of the new divine nature that we have been given when we come into Christ. This actually helps us to understand why Jesus declared to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Because the divine nature that Peter references is the nature that comes through the born again experience. 
John chapter three, verse six and seven. Here's what Jesus says. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I'm saying to you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. I want to help you to understand that because you have two births. If you've been, if you're saved today, you have two births. You have your first birth, which is your natural birth, where you have inbreded getting. Inbreded giving. You come, so, so think about this. Uh, a, a, a little infant comes into where they just want to get. They scream and cry because they're hungry. They scream and cry because they want to be fed or to be changed. They scream and cry because they want to be bounced and walked and, and hugged and rubbed and comforted. So we come into the world with this first nature of getting. What can I get? I've observed this when our children were very small. I observed them screaming like the world was coming to an end. And then you try to give them a bottle, they didn't want it. You check the pamper, they're not wet. You wonder whether they just came up, came from a nap, so they can't be sleepy. They only have three real needs right now, and all of them have been met. Why are you screaming like this? Because you just want somebody to hold you. So we come in with the through the first nature with inbreded getting. The birth that Jesus talks about, this second birth, this second birth is your spiritual rebirth. And, and that is your born again experience in which you now have inbreded giving. See the difference? I come into this world with, through my natural birth, I want to get. When I get born again, I have now inbreded in me this sense of giving. So I want you to join me because there are several passages that I want to read. There's just three of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. I want you to go there with me, if you would, because I want us to see exactly why this is important. Because when we start to think about a live, living a life in worship and we see how God has ordained for us to live with his new nature in us because we've been born again, we see what Peter means here. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He says, grace and peace be multiplied, that you continue, be, it be multiplied unto you this sense of understanding how significant it is that you've been born again. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you in the knowledge of Jesus Christ as his divine power has given us. Here we go. All things that pertain to life and godliness. He says, when you accept Jesus Christ with all your heart and he puts his spirit in you, he says he gives you everything you need that pertains to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of who of him who called us by the glory of his virtue. Verse four, by which we have been given to, has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in this world through lust. Because you, you know how lust is, it's, it's insatiable, it's always trying to get more. 
But he says, by the divine nature of God in us, we can escape that. This week, there was a lot of lust going on in the Metroplex and across the country. Because $1.2 billion was available for a for $2, for $2 purchase. Uh-huh, you ripped yours up last night. Well, how the lady in... Because there's a part of us that is absolutely desiring to have. Even when Jesus talked about how the rich man, that it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a camel, Peter said, well, Lord, who can be saved? Because we all want something. I mean, he's like, hey, I mean, I'm not rich, but I don't know how, I don't think I would just shun it if I was. How many here would say, if you were born into a rich family, you'd say, I, don't, I, I denounce these wealth, this wealth and these riches. I'm going down, living down on Crenshaw. <laughs> so we've escaped this sense of being insatiated with trying to get. Do we have a desire to have? Yes. Are we driven by it? Does it lord over us? No. So Peter says we have been given this privilege to walk with this divine nature. Now, I want to share something with you as an observation. Because when we are born again, the reason we need to be born again is so that we can get a new DNA so that we can get a new DNA, get the DNA of Christ. Let's answer the question, what is DNA? DNA is a self-replicating material that is, in, that is present in nearly all living organisms. It is the carrier of genetic information. Watch this. The fundamental and distinct characteristics or qualities of someone or something. See, we come in with this nature, this sin nature that wants to do all the sin we can. But when we get born again, we're able to say no, because we now have a new nature. I come in, I just want to get, what have you done for me lately? And oftentimes, even as we're journeying in faith, we still come to God with that same approach. We oftentimes approach our church that way. What is the church doing for me? But not recognizing that because giving is a form of worship, we can then worship God even as we serve in our church. As we offer our talent, our gifts, our resource to him, we can see it as our offering unto him. I want to share with you a story. I'm going to share with you Sean's story. This is a story about DNA. After his life-saving bone marrow transplant, Sean had his blood retested four years later. The donors marrow, now he was astonished because the donors marrow had provided what was needed to cure him, but had left him with a surprise. The DNA in Sean's blood was of, the, of his donors. When they tested his DNA, they found the donor's DNA. 
Now, this makes sense because the whole point of the transplant or the goal was to re replicate or replace the weaker blood that Sean had. Or the, the weaker marrow that he had with a stronger, more stable marrow. When they would swab his cheek, the DNA test, they would check in his lip. Under his tongue, they would find the donor's DNA. In some ways, Sean became someone else. Even though he retained his own memories, his own outward appearance, his own ways of doing things, and even his own DNA, they still were finding the new DNA of his donor. Sean's experience bears witness to what the Bible says that therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. See, I couldn't be what I am today had it not been for me being born again. And God taking that DNA that was corrupted in me and giving me some genetic information that would tell me how to live for him. Yes. 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 See, your DNA is your genetic information of how you're going to do things. So I don't, the place I used to go, I don't go no more. Things I used to do, I don't do no more. Why? Because I have been changed when he born me again. So we got a witness in Sean. I believe if Sean was here today, he'd stand up and say, yes, but for the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood that changes my entire way of existence. Ephesians chapter four, I'm going to read seven verses. There is a significant number of verses because I do want you to see something because we read oftentimes when we talk about being made new, we read, we, as I quote it, we'll read 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We'll read that. If any man be in Christ, new creation, all things are passed away, Paul, all things are new. But Paul actually explains what that looks like. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 24, here's what he says. He says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. There it is, because we talked about the fact that when we are coming into this world, we've been born and through our natural birth, we're getters. We want to get all we can. But he says that we no longer walk in the futility of our minds, but now we understand <clears throat> that we have this life from God because of the ignorance that was in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all the uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned this in Christ. He said, you didn't, that's not how you, that, that's not what you're learning from Jesus. That's what you came in with. Do you understand that you don't have to teach your child no? There's never been a baby that had to be taught the word no. Put that down. No. 
Little babies, barely can get, barely get out. No. Recently, a young lady that I've known since she was just a, a young girl has grown up. She's a wife and mother now. and She, she, she sent me a video of, the, of their baby who's about seven months sitting there in her dad's lap. And he said, it's time for you to go to bed. She said, he said, you sleepy. She said, he said, look at your eyes. They're, they're drooping. She said, even at that, she can't even speak yet. And she's already saying no. Because we come in with that, however, it is through this relationship with Jesus Christ, we are able to now rectify that nature. Because he goes on to say, if you indeed have heard him, verse 21, and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the, 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 the deceitful lust." And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which created, which was created according to God in truth, righteousness, and holiness. That leads me to my third and final point. As we understand that we are called, we've got this new DNA in Christ because we've been born again, then we should now live in pursuit of a God-honoring lifestyle. That we should all be pursuing, and, and, and notice the term pursuit is, is, is set after. I'm set after this. Will I have days that I, that, that, that I miss it? I miss the mark all the time. You will too. It's a part of the journey. That's why it's a pursuit of him in, in, this, in this journey because sometimes journeys you should go left and you go right and you gotta work your way back from the detour you took. Anybody been on a detour? Yeah, you didn't been on one, you won't admit it, I'll admit it for you. You done been on a life detour. You prayed about it, you prayed on it, God said don't go over there, you went over there. And six months later, you're still trying to get back on the road. Flat tire, your carburetor went out, your, spirit, your, your spiritual radiator overheated. <laughs> because when we live in pursuit of God honoring lifestyle, what happens is even when we fall, we fall towards the cross. Even when we fall, we fall towards him, not away from him. So our series has been speaking about a lifestyle of worship. So let's go back to our, our original text. Proverbs 3, verse, I want to look at 7 and 9, 7 through 9 at this point. Do not be wise. It says, don't be wise in your own eyes. And it says, if you, if, you re, if you begin to understand that you should allow God to guide and direct your life or live a life in pursuit of honoring him, he says, fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. And one, the, the, new, the King James says, marrow to your bones. You know that marrow in the bone is what gives it, gives it, it, what, it's need, what it needs. It's the essence of what you need to keep it strong and vibrant. Then he goes on to say, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase. So we see that there is a, when we look at these three verses together, we see this sense of pursuing because you see, I'm not going to be wise. I'm not going to do it my way. 
uh, in my, I'm not going to be wise in my own sight. I'm going to strive daily to live a life that, that I fear him and I'm going to depart. See, that word depart means I'm gradually and slowly being sanctified, being made new. The things that the old things are passing away and I'm becoming more and more like Christ. Then you see it's, that it's going to be health. It's going to give you strength. It's going to give you what you need to continue the journey on. Health to your navel and marrow to your bones is what the King James says. And then he says, honor the Lord with your possessions because as we journey on, we should be striving to honor him with our life. In other words, when we read that, here's what we can conclude. We should be relentlessly pursuing honoring God. Oftentimes we, we set out to do things, we have great aspirations and great goals, and then we get discouraged and we give up on that which we know God has already charged us with doing. But we see here in this text that we should continue to pursue it beyond discouragement and failure. If you slide back up to verse five and six, and I wanna read this from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. She says, trust in the Lord. Don't lean on what you know. You got an understanding. But he says, don't depend on that. Yes, you can, you, can, you, you, you can trust the fact that you have knowledge and information. But even with all the knowledge and information, you should still stop and say, Lord, I know what I know, but you know what I don't know. And I'm going to ask you because you know my beginning and my end. I just know my present and my past. And he says, he'll show you the way. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us, or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.